All right. Good morning once again. Um, I'm going to ask you to open your Bibles to Luke chapter 22 and put your finger in verse 47. Um, those of you who were here last week, you know that uh, we've been back in the Gospel of Luke and we're ending it uh, perfectly in time with Good Friday and Easter Sunday, uh, Resurrection Sunday as we prefer to call it. And so it's, it's awesome. But my, my, my job since last week, actually, first and foremost, was to like, okay, where we ended last week was the Passover meal and then the details that follow out of that until Good Friday are numerous. So my first job was to pick the passage for today. You're going to be so happy. Maybe not. I, I realized this as I was doing it, and I don't know if you know this is true, but uh, of all the Gospels, four Gospels in total, um, they comprise the last week of Jesus' life in all of the Gospels comprises 30% of the Gospels. It, it's an incredible focus. And uh, I believe it's uh, Matthew, Mark, and John that are 30%. Luke is actually only 25%, but still 25% of Luke, 24 chapters, right, is this last week, and so there's a lot of details. And so, like I said, there was a decision to be made. But as I made that decision, as the Holy Spirit led me to the passage for today, which begins in verse 47, I felt there were a lot of questions that I had to consider first, um, and I want to share those questions with you this morning too as we enter into it because it's really important. The first thing that came to my mind as I was walking out on my deck on a beautiful sunny day this past week. And so I, I emphasize that because the thoughts that came to my mind, you're going to be going, Glenn, it was a nice sunny day. What? Yes. The first thought that came to my mind was, okay, um, in my own personal life or in the life of most people I know, what would be maybe top of the list that would be the most difficult thing for you to have to deal with in your life? The most painful and hurtful thing, Right? So for me, first of all, the obvious one that came to me was the loss of my parents. The death and loss of someone who's really, really close to you, whether that's a parent, a spouse, a friend. Oh, my, a child. I mean, can you imagine? So, so as I was thinking about that, again, on this beautiful sunny day, I, I'm just thinking like that, yeah, I, I would think, at least for me, when my dad first passed, even though we knew he was ill, the shock was amazing. And so I've lost my mom, my dad, and then recently Janice lost her father. And so it's real, right? It's a real pain. It's a real hurt. So then I started searching for what could be number two, what could be number three, right? And, and man, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking of this and that and whatever, and I won't even name them. You can think of them for yourself. But I realized one other really important thing. There's a huge gap, in my mind anyway, between what's first and second and third. At least in my life. But then it became rather clear to me, and I think it's because obviously of the passage we're in today, what I would put as number two, and I think it is true for most of us, is summed up in one word. Betrayal. I remember becoming a Christian when I was 23 years of age, uh, rock and roll drummer in Toronto, had lots of friends. Not that I was famous or popular or anything, but I just had a lot of friends. And I had one really good friend. We did everything together. We actually started our first business together. And within a week or two of becoming a Christian, he wanted nothing to do with me. That hurt a lot. In my own personal life, those are the most significant betrayals and hurts are friends that 
no longer want to be your friends. I, I have friends from high school back in Toronto who I hope are not watching right now. Actually, I hope they are watching. Uh, when I became a pastor and started doing this on Sunday mornings and they would maybe check it out, yeah, no, I don't want Glenn to be my friend anymore. Personal betrayals on whatever level they might be hurt, right? Anybody got the T-shirt? Hmm. And so let me ask you this question. What are some of the betrayals or ways in which we betray one another? And I got to tell you again from experience with people who've experienced this, infidelity in a marriage, you said you loved me and you did what? It's a huge betrayal. We've walked with some people like that who've been experiencing that and have experienced that up close and personal, and that is hard to fathom. It's also hard to recover from. And thankfully, in the Spirit of the Lord and the Lord's power, it can be done, right? These are painful and devastating betrayals. Uh, How about this one? How about the betrayal of a parent or a sibling who, again, listen, is supposed to love you, protect you, and care for you, and whether it's mentally, emotionally, or worse, physically, they betray you. Again, walk with people. It's devastating, and, and, it, and it can be painful for the life of an individual. It's betrayal. So I, I'd encourage you and challenge you this week. You, you figure out your second and third, and find out and ask yourself the question, would you agree with me? Betrayal is huge. How about this last one? And I can tell you, I believe it's true that in the church, it's been happening since the church was born, but especially in the past 10 years, the failure of a pastor or leader who commits any one of the above is a betrayal that can damage and hurt the whole church, including one's faith. It's painful. So today, listen, we're going to look at the story of not just one, but two men, and listen, a crowd of people who all betray Jesus Christ. Spoiler alert, we all betray Jesus. Let's read our text for today, beginning in verse 47 of Luke 22. I'll read the text, and then we'll pray one more time and dive in. While he, Jesus, was still speaking, there came a crowd, and the man called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them. He drew near to kiss Jesus, but Jesus said to him, Judas, would you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? And when those who were around him saw what would follow, they said, Lord, shall we strike with the sword? And one of them struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his right ear, but Jesus said, no more of this. And he touched his ear and healed him. Then Jesus said to the chief priests and officers of the temple and the elders who came out against him, have you come out against a robber with swords and clubs? When I was with you day after day in the temple, you did not lay hands on me. But this is your hour and the power of darkness. Then they seized him and led him away, bringing him into the high priest's house. And Peter hmm, was following at a distance. And when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter Peter sat down among them. Then a servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the light and looking closely at him, said, 
this man was also with him. But he denied it, saying, Woman, I do not know him. And a little later, someone else said to him, You are also one of them. But Peter said, Man, I am not. And after an interval of about an hour, still another insisted, saying, Certainly this man was also with him. He too is a Galilean. But Peter said, Man, I do not know what you are talking about. And immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him, Before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he, Peter, went out and wept bitterly. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, um, oh, Lord, thank you. Thank you that we have all of the wonderful, uplifting, comforting, and beautiful texts of Scripture, which this one is too. But Lord, thank you also that we have the difficult Scripture. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that that you inspired Luke and the other gospel writers to, to... reveal their own hearts in the scripture. Not to to cover it up and make themselves look good, but to reveal the truth so that we could see the truth about that day, but also our own hearts. So, Father, I pray, Holy Spirit, I pray, uh, help me with this word today, Lord. We, We want your encouragement today. We need your encouragement. And so I pray that you would just help us as we unpack the truth of all this and see this story as it unfolds for what it is, but also to see that look on Jesus' face when he turned back and looked at Peter and how it inspired Peter to weep bitterly. So I thank you for these things and pray this in Jesus' worthy name. Amen. So uh, last Sunday, we arrived, as I said, at the conclusion of the Passover meal. However, the evening was far from over, far from over. After Jesus made the statement that the hands of him who would betray him were actually on the table, and as I alluded to last week, they probably all at that time went, whoops, what's that all about? He said that. that The 12, listen, the 12 began a conversation among themselves after that about who it could possibly be. And, and again, as we noted last week, it was, it was interesting that none of them seemed to suspect Judas at all at the time, at least, but none of them actually expect, suspected each other, which, which is kind of encouraging. You would think, like, we're disciples of Jesus. We've lived together for three and a half years. We love each other. We've eaten with him. We, 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 we just, this is amazing what he's doing. He preaches truth. He heals the sick, the lame. He gives sight to the blind. It's incredible. Who could it possibly be? Well, In John's gospel, we read, he records, that Peter kind of motioned to John, who was sitting beside Jesus at the table, reclining at table with Jesus, to, like, you ask him, right? Why don't you ask him for us, right? And so John does, and Jesus answered, it is he to whom I will give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. Oh, man. Can you imagine the tension at that table? So when he had dipped 
for the morsel, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. And at that point, Jesus tells Judas, what you're going to do, do quickly. Do it quickly. So after Judas leaves, and I know this sounds crazy, and it's funny, this morning, Janice is during, doing some devotions before, while the worship team is playing. She comes to the back to me. She goes, did, did, you, did, did you see and read about the part where what the disciples did after all that? They started talking about who is the greatest in the kingdom. Like, what is wrong with them at that dinner table? And I'm looking at her going, honey, it's in the sermon. Can you hold on? <laughs> right? You're welcome. But it's true. So they start arguing about who is the greatest amongst us. I mean, again, it's unfathomable, you would think. But guys, gals, this is us too. We, we can do the exact same thing at even a moment like that, right? And so it's, it's crazy that after this beautiful meal and the revelation that Judas is going to betray him to the chief priests... They do this. Now, one of the explanations of that might be that, well, they still think he's going to, it doesn't matter. They're going to try to arrest him and all the rest of it, but he's King Jesus. He's going to call on an army of angels, and he's going to obliterate these religious leaders who've been holding us under their thumb for all these years, and the Romans, and he's going to establish his kingdom. So, who wants to sit at the left and the right? I got to believe, personally, that Peter was one of the ones who was going, hey, guys, come on. (laughs) Like, you know... I'm that guy. You know that. You realize that, right? Because, again, uh, in Luke's gospel, going back a few verses, Jesus at this point turns to Peter and says this, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat. Oh, I love these words. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again... Strengthen your brothers. That's prophetic, by the way. Peter, of course, proud as ever, responds and says, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Sure you are, Peter. Of course you are, Peter. He actually probably meant that. He probably probably meant that. So Jesus, of course, at that point responds, predicting in front of all of his brothers, as this meal is coming to an end, that he too would betray him that he would deny him three times before the rooster crows. It's a little humbling, don't you think? (laughs) I think Peter's like, oh, I don't know. We'll see about that. Well, so next they leave the house, and they head to the Mount of Olives. And Luke adds another important detail in this passage. It won't be on screen or anything, but I'll just give it to you. He says, as was his custom. So again, remember last week, like it was Jesus had foreseen the meal and had foreseen that it needed to take place in a place where Judas would not know where it was because he'd already given himself over to turn in Jesus. So it was a secret place. But here Luke is adding a little detail for us, as was his custom. So this was his pattern. It, it is known that whenever he was in that area, he would go to the Mount of Olives and he would pray to his heavenly father. And he'd usually take his disciples with him. And so you all know the story, I'm sure, how he asks his disciples to pray along with him, right? And so that they don't fall into temptation. And, and he moves again, Luke adds the detail, only a stone's throw away. So I don't know how far you can throw a stone, but it's, it, it, the idea is it's like 30 feet, okay? Like, it's not that far away. And he's praying to his father, right? And he prays this prayer, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, 
not my will, but yours be done. Short, critically important prayer. So Luke records that an angel comes to minister to Jesus at that moment. And while the angel is ministering to Jesus, sweat is pouring off of him in very large volumes, but also like blood is the way it's recorded. And so when he finishes, he turns to his disciples, and what does he find? They're asleep. Now again, this is probably uh, very, very late in the evening, uh, Thursday evening, possibly early in the morning on our Friday, but their Friday had begun actually at 6 p.m., right, that evening. And so actually, no wonder they were sleepy. And don't, don't forget, there was a lot of wine at that Passover meal. Remember that? Four cups, okay? They're asleep. And Jesus comes to them. But I also realized this. It appears from everything that I've read, and I was mentioning this in our community group this week, and I kept researching it and looking at it, but everything that I've read, the best I can put it together is from the Passover meal, which would have ended around 536 o'clock, until he is nailed to the cross and hanging there for six hours, Jesus doesn't sleep. He does not sleep. And so on top of all the brutality that is going to happen to him and does happen to him, he is fully exhausted, and yet he never wavers, thankfully. And then we read the beginning of our text for today. While he was still speaking, there came a crowd, and the man called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them. He drew near to Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus said to him, Judas, would you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? So, again, John in his gospel, he records that Judas knew this place well. Again, the details, it's amazing how the stories and also the gospels align with each other and confirm one another. And that's what I, one of the things I love about Scripture. And so, yes, like I said, Judas did not know the location of the Passover meal, and that, that meal was so important to take place, so important to take place. But he did know the location of Jesus on this night. And so the betrayal by, Jesus, uh, by Judas, pardon me, is significant for many ways. Uh, but two we should note from the text here are that one, the betrayal of Jesus by Judas is up close and personal. It's face to face. He's standing right in front of him. And he's willing to turn him in and betray him. Secondly, Jesus looks him straight in the face, straight in the eyes. And he said, Judas, are you going to do this? Really? Are you going to do this? And again, I would suggest to you one last time, he's giving him a way to say to the soldiers and everyone who's with him, yeah, this is not the man. But he doesn't do it. Then we read those that were standing around Jesus by this time, his apostles in a show of support, whisper to Jesus, asking if they should take up swords and deal with these guys, right? Then before Jesus can respond, John tells us that it's good old Peter, right, who lops off the ear of one of the soldiers. Yep, it's Peter. Jesus responds saying, basically, Peter, that's enough. And he miraculously heals 
the soldier, right there, right there in that place. Then Jesus looks at the crowds and he and his adversaries, those who have come out against him, and, and, and he asks them, have you come out against a robber? With swords and clubs? When I was with you day after day in the temple, you did not lay hands on me. But this is your hour and the power of darkness. Now, come on, it's one thing to be betrayed by a close friend, right? That's one thing. It's pretty significant. But have you ever felt like sometimes the whole world hates you? It can feel that way sometimes, right? That's what's happening here. For three and a half years, Jesus walked humbly through towns and cities, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, healing everyone that was brought to him, loving people, showing grace and mercy on a constant basis, proving through every step and every movement and every word that came out of his mouth that he was, in fact, the long-awaited Messiah. Humbly, humbly going about this, proving that, listen, it's not works of the law. You guys should know this. You're not going to find favor and forgiveness with God through works of the law. It's going to have to be through a sacrifice, an atonement on your behalf that you cannot do. I'm here to do that and to do it for you. In his gospel account of that night, John confirms that it says here in 18.3, Judas, having procured a band of soldiers and some officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, went there with lanterns and torches and weapons. And so again, imagine the picture. It's a mob of people. To, to take into custody Jesus? Sure, Peter's got a sword. I mean, that's Peter. It's a mob. It's full of Roman soldiers, Jewish religious leaders, and many, many, many others. Friends, I know this is a hard truth, but I have to say this. This is the posture of the world on display right here. You will remember from our spiritual warfare series, we looked at two, past, or two Sundays at the world. Yes, for God so loved the whole world that he came and died on a cross. But the world is also an enemy of God. You'll know some of the the, the people that we quoted during that series that gave a definition of what the world is, was, specifically. And I'm just going to quote you the last part of Eugene Peterson, the the, the pastor of pastors, one of the most humble and, and, and uh, pacifist-oriented men you're ever going to have met. He's passed away and bit, he's gone with to be with the Lord. But he said this at the end of his definition on the world. He said this, It is the society of proud and arrogant humankind that defies and tries to eliminate God's rule and presence in history. That is what is on display here in our text. And so I'm going to ask you, because I know when you hear this, it's a little hard to believe, right? I mean, come on, we're we're, we're supposed to go and witness to this world, right? Yes, yes, 100%, yes, we are. But but just to, to prove the point for today, let me just put it to you this way. In seven to eight hours, all of the people are going to cry out, what? Crucify him. Crucify him. The whole world comes to that conclusion. 
I want to encourage you that in our day and age, cancel culture is just the latest and most obvious of the ways of this world. So next in our text, we read that Jesus is led away, likely restrained in some way, and to the house of the high priest to face their trumped-up charges that they have against him. And Luke adds the detail that Peter was following, listen, at a distance. This is beautiful. Well, the crowd that had followed Judas and his gang to the garden to arrest Jesus now set up camp just outside the home of the high priest, and and they make a fire. So that, again, an interesting detail tells us it's a a cool night, right? And, And Peter sits among them. And then it starts. It starts exactly as Jesus had predicted it would. He knows He knows. First up is a mere servant girl. Now, most pastors will highlight this particular point, and so I'm going to take the occasion to do the exact same thing. The contrast is stunning. I mean, here you have this uh, strapping fisherman. It's Peter's image. It's true. He's a strong man whose sword just recently lopped off the ear of a soldier, and yet he's afraid of a mere Servant girl, this contrast should not be lost on us. On us. So she is likely in her early teens, and then we read, Then a servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the light and looking closely at him, said, This man also was with him. But he denied it, saying, Woman, I do not know him. So, so first look at this. Peter denies, betrays Jesus. But now watch this. The natural result of betraying Jesus is, and a little later, someone else saw him and said, you also are one of them. But Peter said, man, I am not. The natural result, the natural result of betraying Christ, we betray our brothers and sisters in Christ. That's the natural result, as seen with Peter here. Finally, a few minutes later, someone said, Certainly this man also was with him, for he too is a Galilean. But Peter said, Man, I do not know what you are talking about. And so so what we see here is Peter betrays his own people as well, his own hometown. So first Christ, then his brothers and sisters, and now his own people. Peter denies Jesus. And then he denies his brothers, the other apostles. And then he he just denies his hometown, his his family, where he's come from. Listen, this is the thing about betrayal for you and I to learn here today. When when people betray someone else, they're not just betraying someone else. They're betraying themselves. We betray ourselves, our own character. And if you're in Christ, it's a huge betrayal of your identity of my identity. So just think for a moment how powerful this is, okay? Well, actually, we're going to get to that. Sorry, I went ahead of myself. So first Peter, as I said, denies Jesus and these things. Peter betrays his own people, and once again, he betrays himself. And soon, look at these words that come out of his mouth. Can you imagine? Immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. I mean, the text, the way it, it speaks, the immediacy is he's, he's still saying the words, man, I do not know what you're... So I want you to think about that for a second, because it, 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 you might find this a little silly, but I'm just going to say it anyway. How remarkable is it that the Holy Spirit 
caused a rooster to crow at that very moment. Now, if you're a skeptic, you're going, you guys believe weird things? Do you believe that? The Holy Spirit can do far more amazing things than that, right? He can. He can do far more. He, he can heal. He can provide incredible comfort. He can guide and he can lead you and I. He can empower you and I. He's the only person of the Trinity living inside of you and I who can help us live according to the Spirit and not according to the flesh. He's powerful. And yet here's this simple image that I'm sure skeptics look at and go, man... I don't believe in prayer, but if I did, I'd pray for you. A rooster? Yeah, it's true. Now, this next first half of verse 61 is something I want you just to meditate on as we look at it. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Okay, hold on. He's being led away. The rooster crows. I, man, I, I, I paused a lot. I cried a little bit when I thought about this. What, what, what kind of look do you think it was? I think he rolled his eyes. Oh, Peter, <laughs> told you so. I don't think so. Do you think he gave, him, he gave him a look that made Peter feel like, yeah, between you and I, Peter, it's over. Do you think? No. No. Not a chance. So when we look at it and see it up close and personally, Peter's denial is barely out of his mouth when the rooster crows. And so, friends, as we imagine this eye contact, I want you to see that Peter saw a look in Jesus' eyes that we need to see every time we fail and deny him. And it's a look of love. And that's exactly what I believe Peter saw because of his response. And the last half of 61 and 62 says, and Peter remembered the saying. So Jesus looks at him. and Peter remembered the saying, how he had said to him, Before the rooster crows today, you will deny me. You will betray me three times. And then it says, and he went out and he wept bitterly. Those verses in the original language encourage, or those words, weep bitterly, encourage the idea it's it's the outflow of the heart. it's It's a repentant grief. It's an acknowledgement of, what have I done? What have I done to him? I've betrayed the one who's going to die for me. No, I think the look on Peter's face said, Peter, 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 remember I told you just a few hours ago, Satan Satan wanted to have you, but I prayed for you, Peter. Remember that? And remember that I love you no matter what. Now listen, turn around and follow me. So we also know that Jesus responded to Peter 
after his death, burial, and resurrection, don't we? Jesus, a few days after his resurrection, goes looking for Peter. I mean, he's there for all of them. He's, he's there for anyone who, that he's known for a thousand people at one time who saw him. But he goes specifically to Peter to undo the three denials with three important requests in the form of a question. Peter, do you love me? Agape, love me? Peter's like, oh, you know I like you. Peter, let me ask you again. Do you love me? Jesus, you know I like you like a friend. No, 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 Peter. Do you agape love me? The text at that point will tell you that, G- that Peter got a little frustrated. He still says filio, which is like a friend. But he got the message. And then Jesus said, feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. And so, yes, we know these things about Peter. Peter responded well in this text that we read today. He responded really, really well. He repented, and we know that he did by the way he lived the rest of his life. Amen? He was called by Jesus originally to follow him, and after this denial, this betrayal, he turned around again, and what did he do? Followed Jesus to his death, crucified upside down. So we know that his repentance was true. Judas, on the other hand, well, we know, yes, that he eventually took back the 30 pieces of silver, the blood money, actually saying that he betrayed innocent blood, and then he went out and hung himself. Remorse, yes, but no repentance. No turning back and following Christ is evident. So friends, let me leave you with this today. A lot of us say we want to follow Jesus. You don't have to raise your hand, but I want to follow Jesus. We all say that. If you've become a Christian or you're thinking of becoming a Christian, you've been a Christian for a long time, you're saying that. Of course you're saying that. But the lesson that I want all of us to see here today is that it has to be true in the hard times. It has to be true when our faith is tested. And in this world today, it's going to be tested all the time. All the time. It's going to be tested when your faith is going to cost you. It's going to cost you a friend and betrayal. That's the most important time to follow Christ. And, and listen, when, when you're in that place today, tomorrow, next week, next month, and, and you're in a place where you're like, okay, I, I got a decision right here, right now. I can betray the word of God. I can betray Christ. I can betray my brothers and sisters in Christ. I can betray the church of God. Friend, stop for a second and just imagine as you're supposed to be following him, he turns and looks at you. He says, hey, Glenn. Hey, Glenn, I prayed for you. I prayed for you. Follow me. Don't deny me. Follow me. Pray with me, would you?